Summer Owens, and I am bringing to you another session of So What Success Stories. And today, I am super excited to bring my guest, Bertha Looney. And if you haven't heard her name, you need to look her up because this is history that we're looking at, beautiful history that is right before me. I admire this woman so much. Um, she is one of the sweetest, most humble people I know, and she is also super resilient. She has been through what um, many of us couldn't even imagine going through, and, uh, and here she is on the other side, and she is beautiful, and she is smiling, and she is happy, and she is successful. So I am, I don't want to wait any longer. I just want to jump into her story. Bertha, first, just give us a little short introduction of, of who you are, because I'm going to get into some questions, allow you plenty of time to talk about some things. Well, thank you, Summer, and I really admire you for all the great work that you're doing, things that you have done. You're one of my person that I deeply admire, and thanks for having me for this interview. For great. Well, I want to say that I am Bertha Rogers Looney, one of eight children, Benny and Bessie Lackland Rogers, parents who were who believed in hard work, very disciplined parents for us, and it's, it's paid off for not only for myself, but for my siblings as well. Today, I'm, there are four of us that remain out of the eight, but I thank God for their lives and what they instill within us, ethics of loving yourself, loving God, respecting the family, and those things that have carried us forward. Many people refer to me as one of the Memphis State Eight, and that's the part of my life that Today, I will focus on, although prior to going to Memphis State, I had a life. I was this girl that began life on a farm in rural Shelby County, in a one-room school where we had grades one through eight. There were two teachers there. One was a principal, and she was principal and teacher. She taught grades one through three and seven and eight, and served as the principal, Mrs. Isabella Brewery Scott where I learned so much from her and it helped to prepare me for life along with my parents. The other teacher, Mrs. Magnolia Baz, taught grades four, five, and six. And this school was on the, what we call Kerrigan Farm off of Lamar and Airways. And it was Maple Avenue School in that area that's somewhat referred to as Rainbow Lake. Anyway, at Maple Avenue, when I attended school with my siblings, there were six of us. My sister Dorothy was not at school and my youngest sister Oral was not born. But anyway, in that school with my siblings who were so embarrassed by me because my first year going to school with my brothers and all my brothers are my senior, I cried every day. I did not want to leave my mother to go to school with my brothers. And my brother who, the only one of the brothers who survived, who lives now, James, Curtis Rogers would tell Mrs. Scott to whip me, but she did not. I would go to school, do my work, and then I would cry. But what I learned in being in that one-room school is that to study hard and to believe in yourself, and even as a young kid, Mrs. Scott would say to me that you can do it. She would let me cry, and then I would do my work. Then I would return home only to return to school the next day and then cry. By the time I was in the fourth grade, my family moved to the to South Memphis and I attended what was Don Avenue School prior to my going to Hamilton in the seventh grade and I graduated from Hamilton in 1959. At Hamilton, I excelled in my studies and I was very pleased to do so. And, and in high school was a member of various organizations. In particular, one was the Projectors Club where we learned how to 
film people and to show movies in the classroom. And I really, really enjoyed that, but that was not my interest. My interest was in mathematics. I wanted to be a mathematician. Also at Hamilton, I was selected to be one of the students on the Quism on the Air, which aired on WDIA. And the first year that this was aired was in 1958. It was in, I'm sorry, 1957. Because in 1957, when they began, when the school began Quism on the Air, which is a premiere to what is Knowledge Bowl now, which is on television. I was on the team, and unfortunately, we lost to Douglas. And on the Douglas team was Ralph Crater, who came one of the Memphis State Eight, and his team won. And of course, that was a disappointment. And it was in 1959 that Ralph and I would reconnect again at, at Memphis, University of Memphis, and we became, we entered classes there on September 18, 1959. I graduated with honors from Hamilton, and my mind was set on going to. I wanted to go to Fizz in Nashville, and I thought maybe I could marry a doctor from a Harrod. However, because of the expenses involved, involved traveling between Memphis and Nashville, I could not afford to go. So I accepted my scholarship to go to Lamorne, which is now Lamorne Owen. And I would fulfill my mother's dream of going to college. She wanted to go to Lamorne. However, she went as far as the 12th grade, and she did not complete her her high school, but I must say that at the time of her death in 1989, she was in the GED program at Hamilton High School and about to get her diploma. Yeah. So I, I would say that in essence, she received her, her GED, very smart woman, but faint and so sweet. But anyway, when I was approached after I graduated in June 1959 to take the test at then Memphis State, Mr. Jesse Turner, who was an executive with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, often referred to as NAACP. And I must say that when we think of the NAACP, and I say to students when I'm talking to them, it is just not an organization for people of color. It is an organization that main mission is to help people when they're not treated fairly, to help, to help correct some of the ills that exist within our nation. So, but anyway, NAACP, Mr. Jesse Turner asked me to take the test because he needed some students to go to Memphis State. And I initially said, no, 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 I do not want to be part of that. Although Dr. Martin Luther King was my mentor and I admired the way he was making progress in the South, preaching nonviolence and how we could all make a difference. Something within me said you could go and something was saying, no, don't go. And I kept saying, no, I do not want to go. Well, Mr. Turner was persistent very persistent. He called our home four and five times a day. We talked to my mother. He wanted you. <laughs> he, yeah. And because um, my mother was frightened, she didn't know what would happen to me. Her mind went back to what happened in 1957 over in Little Rock, Arkansas with the Little Rock Nine and that violence that erupted because of that. Um, those students who were there at the Central High School. However, my principal, Mr. Harry Cash from Hamilton called to encourage me to go. The minister of my church, I was a member of Onan County Missionary Baptist Church, which have deep meaning for us. My great grandfather was one of the founders of that church in 1870. So that was a church that I was nurtured in and it was very special. So I had family there, I had friends there who were saying that you can go. I kept saying, no, I do not want to go. 
Plus in the neighborhood where we live in the Washington Heights subdivision, a subdivision that was founded by Mrs. Effie and David Washington, successful African-Americans who bought several pieces of land in that area of Effie and Mallory in that section of land. And I also worked at Coveston Grocery at Ellison and Elvis Presley. And the, my customers would comment, the customers of the store rather, I don't guess they were my customers at all. <laughs> they would come to the store and encourage me to attend. There were great families who said, you can go, you can do it. Because my daughter will be going in a year or two. My son will be going in a year or two. So after much persuasion and prayer, I decided that I would take the test, thinking that I would not pass the test. But I was blessed and I made a perfect score on the test. And from then, it, Mr. Turner would just not let up. Call, calls, call. You must go. You must take, you must go. So I agreed to go on. And then uh, in September 18, 1959, I, along with seven other African-American students, began classes at then Memphis State University. Integrating the University of Memphis. So so, okay, so we got to get into that story because that was, that's amazing. So I'm a University of Memphis graduate, as you know, and I'm um, currently the president of the National Alumni Association. And I've been blessed to have awesome. degrees from the University of Memphis and gotten some honors from the University of Memphis, some incredible honors from the University of Memphis. And I'm looking at this woman, this incredible woman, along with the seven others of the Memphis State Eight, who made that possible for me. So that's amazing. So we're going to get into that a little bit more, but tell me a little bit about what you do now or what, you, what you've done since you um, went to school to University of Memphis. Well, that's quite interesting. When I first left the University of Memphis, Memphis State in 1965, it took me a while to complete my degree because of changing major. I first began majoring in math. I got as far as calculus and I had problems there. And I, I switched over to business education, thinking that I would teach since my dreams of being a mathematician was being shattered with that calculus and get a degree in math. But I did end up with a minor in math. Anyway, I uh, switched to business education, ran into some difficulties there, but I went on to complete my requirements to have a major in business education with a minor in English. And in 1965, I, I left Memphis State University. My first job was to teach in Walls, Mississippi. I taught business education, I taught English, and I taught math at Walls, Mississippi. And then from there, I, the next year, I decided I wanted to do some secretarial work. And I, Walls were just within community distance. I didn't live in Mississippi, just so close to Memphis. But anyway, the next year, I applied to radio station WMPS, which is an interesting story, and I often don't share this, but there was an opening for a sales for a program announcer, for an announcer on the radio, or I guess we call them DJs on uh -huh. WMPS, predominant white audience, I would think, and considering that African-American were not working at the station. I guess by that time I had really got into where I wanted to do something to correct the ills in our society. And I thought I would give it a try to apply at this radio station to uh, be an announcer on a on an all-white format WMPS. Well, I, I gave it some thought and I knew that to to apply in the sense of 
Bertha Rogers was so, um, would not get me the job, nor my address. What I did was that, and this is, I'm sharing this even though in the broadcast, <laughs> that I used my friend's address. And at that time, she lived in the Tiffany. She was here from New York. She was a mall. 810 Washington to Tiffany, where there were very few African Americans living in the Tiffany. And I applied under B. Rogers without them even knowing that because Bertha is so Afrocentric, is that correct? And then yeah, they yeah. <laughs> and I did not give my street address on FE, but I gave 810 Washington as B. Rogers. And I was calling for an interview. And when I walked into the studio, you can imagine the stairs. It took me back to 1959 when we was first went out on the campus of Memphis State, and the sales manager said that, "Well, we don't have any positions here." And you know, if what are you doing here? And I said, "I'm, I'm re responding to the ad that was in the newspaper." And he said, "Well, we don't have a position for an announcer here." And then one of the persons that interviewed me, and I only say this is providential, said that. Well, what else can you do if you're not an announcer? I said, well, I can, I can type, I can do shorthand. With those days when shorthand was very popular. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I was given a typing test and I could type about a hundred words a minute. I could do shorthand, I forgot my speed. And I was successful on that test and I was hired as a sales secretary. That was, a, that was an advantage for me. I really didn't want to be on the air, but to be a sales secretary, I learned so much about the radio the uh how it is how it's operated and and I went on to stay there for a couple of years as a radio WMPS what was perhaps an obstacle for me became an advantage for me because not I didn't I was not on the air but being a secretary gave me opportunities to represent the station at predominantly African-American function as it related to uh media and that was a great opportunity for me that is awesome that, that's going to be my first question about obstacles but um but right now i also want you to talk about where you teach now all right well this semester i must say that i'm on sabbatical right after teaching so many years that i began at state tag and then which became 2000 merge with shelby state and we are now southwest tennessee community college i've taught english there well i taught it again in 1980 First as a secretary there at State Tech. I didn't get a job initially as teaching, but I did get a job first as secretary and then worked in the what called the learning lab. And then I became a English teacher in the developmental studies department and then in the regular English department. So, it, but being a secretary, you learn so much about a company. It was awesome. That's good. <laughs> that is so good. And I like how you have a positive perspective on, on that situation. So I have what I call the so what success formula. And the so what success formula is learning how to overcome obstacles, eliminate excuse, excuses, and calculate your choices so that you can achieve so what success. And that's success in spite of any obstacles that you face. And without you knowing it, you've applied the SOA success formula and you have been uh, successful and you're such a role model and inspiration to me and so many other people. So now I want to ask you questions around the um, SOA success formula. So first, you just alluded to some of the obstacles and I know you've had a lot. <laughs> but tell us, share with us a few of the obstacles you've had and how you learn how to overcome the obstacles that you face. 
All right. Thank you. One of the obstacles that I have when I could not get a job initially teaching in the Memphis City School, then I applied to the one in Hernandez, well, it was Walls, Mississippi, and I, I was a teacher there. Another thing is that when I applied to the radio station, and and I was not, I was somewhat disappointed I could not be the announcer because I thought maybe I could speak well enough. But then I became secretary, so it helped me to work at the station and it provided opportunity for me to advance as a station head. I stayed at the station. Another thing that helped me when I was working at the radio station is that I was also asked to work for the labor union that was responsible for bringing Dr. Martin Luther King to Memphis. So I was happy that I had that freedom to work or that flexibility to work at the radio station and also work at the, for the labor union. And that was a awesome opportunity because I was there working with the ASME American Federation of State County Municipal Employees and of course that was a part that brought the union that brought Dr. King here to Memphis and of course he was unfortunately killed on April the 4th 1968 but it provided for me to learn the insights to for the labor union how the labor union operates the how it is financed the people that they support and I met several people with the labor union from the national level and was awesome to meet Dr. King when he came to Memphis. And I must say that I always remember I sure came with him on April 3rd and he was assassinated on April the 4th. Oh, but wow. Work, right, but, but, and of course I marched and whenever the marches were, were here in Memphis, I would march. But that obstacle of not teaching or not getting the job that I'd applied for provided other opportunities by accepting what was available, but you can help to navigate yourself to, to find other type of employment. Which, I just love your good. positive perspective on that <laughs> and yeah. how you, how you taught, you got through school. So even attending the university in Memphis um, with only seven other um, African-American students, and I've, I've heard you speak before, about some of the challenges that you had um, and some, the, a lot of the limitations that you all had. I know those were a lot of obstacles. So even talk about some of the obstacles you faced as a student, just getting to that degree. That's so true. The, thank you. Getting there, well, classes were from eight and we on campus for first class at eight. We had to leave campus after our class and we had to be off campus by 12 noon. And which might seem difficult for, for people, but I, I adjusted to that. I was happy to leave at 12 noon. <laughs> it was frightening being on that campus. Can you imagine the stairs we received? We were escorted to our class by plainclothes policemen who were not friendly. We, the eight of us, we had to sit at the back of the classes. The students would move their chairs once we sat down beside them. And there was one lounge for the women in the administration building, one for the men in the library. I'm saying that what probably looked like so difficult for people. When you think of those conditions which you are in, four hours on campus was more than long enough for me. Yes, I can see that. <laughs> I can't even imagine being in this situation. Right, and I was, I was just, and after that first day on class, going at eight, well, we had, the eight of us had a, a separate orientation. We went for orientation thinking we were going to be part of the student orientation. It was just for the eight of us. We met the administrators who gave us the rules. Be on campus for your classes. You would just only go to class. You would not uh, go to like the library unless you wish your class. 
In fact, just only go to class and then you would go home because when there was a Dean Robinson who told us that it would be better if we just would be in class because we didn't want to cause any friction with the other students. It means no physical education classes. Although the state of Tennessee required each student to have at least four semesters of physical education, unless there was some type of health reason or other reason not to take. And of course, we were exempt from that. But the one thing that I, when I think back over going to Memphis, being there at eight o'clock and leaving campus at 12, and as I said earlier, it, that was more than enough time because can you imagine being frightened, walking to class, you're hearing people call you out of your name. Those first weeks when people would drive around the campus in the, with the Confederate flags flying and telling us to go home. They didn't say it in that way. They were right. doing those little chants, you know, those little chants and all of that. But when I, my father would drive me to the campus because, had, because we have to remember that the, the buses were segregated and we had to leave a campus and then get ride a bus in a very hostile environment. But we were also fortunate that one of the students, Ralph Prater, had this car that could bring all of us back to our respective bus station where we could transfer to go home. And I would transfer at Lamar, no, I'm sorry, Lauderdale in advance and take the number four walker home. And that was good to get away from that environment, which was good. And I call it going back to civilization, going back home, you know, <laughs> to get away from Memphis, get away from Memphis. But those that first year, get leaving at 12, in retrospect, God took care of us. I know that, but, but I was beyond frightened. I have to say that for you, you're walking on campus, the stairs, not knowing if someone's going to, when somebody might hit you and attack you, but I, but God's grace kept us. God's grace, the sit in the classroom where the student would move their chairs back, the professors ignored us, and but we were there and we persevered. Yeah, well, we all know that racism still exists to this day, but the level that you had to endure it and it was so blatant and it was so accepted. Yes, um, that's true. That's true. I can't, I, I can't, I can't even imagine. And that's why, you know, you, you are so sweet and kind and uh, complimentary to me. But I, I, every time I see you, I just think about what you went through and how you know, how beautiful and amazing it is that, that you are, are where you are right now and that you are still so, so positive. Um, because the thing is a lot of, you went through a lot, right? To just yes. get through class, just to graduate, just to start your career and to be right. successful. We don't have those obstacles anymore. Now we do, like I said, racism still exists and we still have lots of challenges, but a lot of us still have obstacles that we choose not to overcome that we can yeah. overcome and we choose not to overcome and in a lot of cases which brings me to my next question is we have excuses like life can be hard it can be very challenging but i believe and i think you believe too that you can still be successful if you can get rid of those excuses when it's hard you can still press forward so i would like to know some of the excuses that you could have used or maybe you did use and how you eliminated those excuses from your life so that you could press forward and go ahead and still be successful. Thank you. One of the things that bothered me at Memphis, I had excelled at Hamilton and Hamilton High School, the great Hamilton, which I, I love. I did not do well in English at Hamilton. 
I mean, I'm sorry, at, at University of Memphis. And that was a big challenge for me. And to think that I could not do well in English, I have been taught how to write and could pride myself on being able to write. But I didn't pass all of my courses in English. And that was, that was very, very difficult. I wanted to just leave the university, but I had promised Mr. Um, Jesse Turner, the members at my church that I would persevere and I would go on and I would complete my degree. However, to not pass a course in English was disappointing. But then I said to myself that I would, I would just repeat the courses that I didn't pass and I would go on. And I can't believe that, I guess I can believe that I would not only uh, persevere, but I received the bachelor's in English and also a master's in English as a second language. That became a real challenge. But I want to say to myself that I can write, even though I was told that I was not writing well. And then I realized that English is subjective. And I hope that I have conveyed that to my students when they, when they get their papers back, that grammatically my papers were correct, but the contents was not good. And that bothered me tremendously. And, 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 but it taught me how to write, how hopefully it did, how to write. And then I would also get help from my teachers from Hamilton. I get help from the professors at Lemoyne. And when we, the paper would come back with a grade that was below past and that disturbed me, but I still persevered, saying that I, I will learn this, I will do the English. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I, I stayed the course. And I'm glad you shared this story because. We all have had, I mean, a lot of us have had those moments where uh, we, we're confident and something may happen that can shake our confidence, right? Sure, where sure. where we, we feel like we got it and then something happens and as good as we thought we were. We thought, right? That's so true, right? That's and, true. Not as good as we thought. That's not true. as good as we, may, and, and maybe that's true and maybe it's not. Like you said, it can, it, it's subjective. A lot of things are subjective and based on someone else's opinion. But it's what you do with that after that that makes all the difference in not only in that in that class or in that moment, but in your entire life is sure. how you move forward from that. And so I appreciate you sharing how a failure, you turn that around and you press sure. forward, you got better, it made you better, it made you push yourself to be better and not only get one degree, but two degrees in the same subject. <laughs> that says a lot about you. I began a doctorate in English, but I did not complete it. I wish I had, but I did not. Oh, wow. Oh, but wow. Some of the, some of the fa family issues, and I stopped to help along with help with the six, and I didn't return. But I really wanted a PhD in English. I did. But I, I did told, yeah. That. Well, you know, and you spoke on some, you said family issues, and I, and I know part of that is taking care of, of your brothers. Um, and, 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 um, and I know about some of the other challenges and with you, you know, with your son. And yes, I would yes, love yes. if you, if you know, share that because, these are, are real life things that people deal with. Um, so you become in history as yeah. one of Memphis say, hey, most of us won't have a part in that, right? Most of us won't have the opportunity or the challenge of being in that role. But the other life life challenges you've had, some of we will deal with that. A lot of people will deal with some of those things that can cause us to put our own lives on hold and, and maybe our own some of our own dreams. And so maybe you you know feel free to share any of that that you'd like to share yes okay well then i i went to maryland in the in 1970 to, to just get away from memphis and at the time my son i was a single mom my son was here with my parents and i planned to 
just live there because he was going to be taken care of by my parents. But in 1974, my father died unexpectedly, and I returned to Memphis to be with my mom and to help with my child, who was five years old. The point that I would like to make about that is to making the adjustment that I was doing well in Maryland. I came back to help with my mother. I took a leave from Maryland Civil Defense, and after a couple of years, I did not return to Maryland. I enjoyed being in Maryland. I enjoyed the proximity to Washington, D.C. and New York and all the things that was offering me, but it was better that I came back to help here at home. And once I returned, then I I, I didn't go back to, uh, to Maryland. And well, when I first came back to Memphis and to um, while I was trying to adjust as I wanted to stay here, I took a job with the Opportunities Industrialization Center. It was a program funded, was started by Reverend Sullivan, where students would be trained in the various um, programs of not more than just GED, but also in different uh, areas of, of employment. But because of my background in business education, when I was employed at, at the short for OIC, which was a subsidiary of the CETA program, Comprehensive Employment Training Act program by, sponsored by the city of Memphis, I was credited with teaching a class for to having 10 students. And I would have those students the full day. I taught them business, I taught them English, I taught them typewriting and shorthand. And my goal was to get those students ready for employment within one year. And it proved very successful. And I was pleased that I could handle those courses with the minor in math and with the major in English and then the major in business education. So that became, while I'm trying to decide if I want to go back to Maryland, do I stay on in Memphis? That was a good a program that I was part of it. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that program. It was I'm not, of, I'm not. Okay, it was, it was in this late seventies, it was called the CETA program, C-E-T-A, Comprehensive Employment Training Act program sponsored by the city of Memphis, which had several subsidiaries of that. One was the OIC, which did the business education training. There was another part of which did the training for GED instruction by the Board of Education. It was a great program. And I was happy that I could be a part of that. And so it helped me to overcome not being in Maryland, staying here, readjusting to being in Memphis and knowing that I could perhaps be successful wherever. Yeah, or I could, yeah and, and that was great for me. Well, that's awesome. I was gonna also say, so I was a single mom and, and that's a whole other challenge in and of itself, right? Yes, yes <laughs> being, that's true. Being a single mom. So those are other challenges I know that you have, you've overcome and you've dealt with and, yeah. and I admire you for that too. Any, okay. Was there something else you wanted to share about that? Well, and then when I leave in OIC, I work well <laughs> at the uh, correction center for about a year. Again, as a secretary, secretary has been an amazing job for me because I like business education. If I was not teaching it, and I was working as a secretary, and I worked at the uh, prison, the state prison, where the uh, state tech was doing their training for, for for students for the prisoners, right? The inmates, okay. the inmates, and I was secretary to the principal there at the state correction center which is out okay. there by state tech and then from there i worked over at state tech so okay I, it's, it's 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 been challenging and then i began full-time with state tech in 1980 
it, it's been quite an experience. You have had a you've had a journey. <laughs> yeah, I sure yeah. have. I have been uh, with my um in in the eighties, and then of course in twenty twelve I lost my son. Then that was that's been very very difficult. But uh, well, that's um, a, that's a that's a major challenge that um yes it should I I had the I had the I had the one son and he passed away in 2012. So you have definitely overcome um, some major obstacles, some that many of us can't even imagine. And as a, a mother, you've experienced what has been the hardest thing I think that any parent can imagine. Um, but but yeah, here you are, positive um, and encouraging. And, um, and what words would you have to share with some with people about that? Thank you. Well, at 79, I haven't lost my only son. I still find it very difficult to say to someone, a parent, a grieving parent, what to say about who lost a child, I, no matter how old that child is. But I do say to people when that person has lost, suffered the loss of a child, is that you manage to get through it. Not over it, but you get through it. And I can say to those who have faith in themselves and of course, keep your faith in God and help us to get through that process. I, I lost my son in 2012. He was 47 and really unexpected. He had, my granddaughter was had lived with him there in the Indiana, first in Chicago and then in Indiana. And she had just come here to begin classes at University of Memphis. She began classes in August and he had a, a stroke on October the 15th and passed away on November the 1st. It's, to relieve that is it's always painful, but over the years, which will be nine years this year, I've, I've learned to talk about it and to always share some of the fondest memories of him and just happy that I, he was here with me that long but it is, and then I look at her and I see so much of, of him in her and that is a blessing I must say that she graduated from the University of Memphis in 2017 and now she's married and lives in Frisco Texas they're having problem with the water and the elect, electricity but that they will overcome that too yeah, yeah. well I appreciate you sharing that because I can't even imagine how hard it is to even talk about it. <clears throat> um, I know it will encourage though um, people. I personally now have two friends who've lost children, um, grown children. Yes. And um, so it's something that I know is very t difficult to talk about. And I, I appreciate you sharing. I do admire your relationship with your granddaughter. Yeah. I um as you know, I'm very close to both of my grandmothers. Yeah. And so that granddaughter, grandmother relationship, um, and especially under your circumstances, um, I'm glad that you have that. I'm very grateful yes. that you have that. So I have just um a couple more questions. So the next one, again, the formula, the so what success formula is overcoming obstacles, eliminating the excuses, and then the last part is calculating choices. So we all have obstacles, we all have challenges, they come in different forms at different points in our life, but we all have the opportunity to make choices. How have you calculated the choices and made the choices in your life that have helped you to be successful? 
Well, thank you. When I think about the choices that I've made, for instance, when my father died suddenly, I needed to come back to Memphis to help with my son and to be with my mom. I made the decision to take a leave from the job in Maryland Civil Defense and to come back here and work maybe a year or two and then return to Maryland. However, in the meantime, when I was employed with OIC and I was doing well there, I thought I would just remain in Memphis. And while I was not being in Maryland, which I enjoyed, I was developing other friendships and association and here was helping me to, to move forward. Another thing that I learned after uh, my son sudden passing is that while I was so grieved about him, I focused more on my granddaughter and tried, and I encouraged her to remain in school because she initially wanted to leave school. And I, to stay in school, go ahead and get your degree. That would be the greatest memorial you could give to your father. And she went on and she graduated. Uh, another thing is that I dealt with uh, severe illness in 2017. I had pancreatic cancer, surgery for pancreatic cancer. And I felt that well, God, when I make it through this, but I kept, I remain positive. My faith in God is very strong and it is very deep and it helped me get through that process. So, and, and today I'm, I'm cancer free and I thank God for that. So, so when things happen, we, we learn to, to move on and to realize that with our faith in ourselves and our faith in God, that we truly can make it if we believe that we can. And, and, and those are some difficult decisions, but we have to go on and, and to live with them and wow. not, to give up, not to give up. So I'm learning more and more and more about you. Um, I, I thought I knew how strong you were, but um, I'm really honored and amazed by your strength. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that too. And I'm, I thank God that you're that that you survived cancer. Um, and again, that you're so positive and <laughs> just yeah. amazing to me. I, we really are. So my my next question, my next to last question is success. So overcoming obstacles, eliminating excuses, calculating choices. For me, and I believe you see it in your life too. If you do those things, then you will have success in spite of your challenges. How do you define success? I define success as, first of all, believing in yourself. And, and even if we have to make those adjustments in life, not having the, perhaps the position we want, uh, not doing some of the things we want to do, but to learn to be content in the things that we do have. And we can always seek to do more, but if we cannot, then learn to be happy and adjust to the environment which we are in and not to be so, uh, not to give up when things do not come out the way we want the first time. For instance, when I was in, I changed majors twice, but to find something that you can work with. And if you press forward with that and be determined, then you can, that one can be successful in that or can improve in that area. And that's the thing that have kept me going. That uh, some things we could just, in life, we cannot change. We cannot change. The uh, serenity prayer is my, is the so what, the, I came up with so what, based on the serenity prayer. So exactly yeah. what you just said. Yeah. Some things you can't change, you have to accept it. Accept them and those that you can change, we, we, we change. Do something them. about it, then do right. something about it. If you can do something, absolutely, absolutely. And you've definitely demonstrated that throughout your life. And I uh, think okay. that we're helping others that they help us to, to feel better about ourselves. Right. And that it's not always about us, or but it's when we're helping others. And then the, the world will judge us by what we have done. Not like what we say. 
you're exactly right. You've done so much. And just sharing your life is doing something for others. And like I said, the sacrifice that you made in 1959 or starting in 1959, people like me, when I was a student, I didn't even know. I didn't even know about the history. I didn't know. And I'm so glad that more and more people are getting to know about the Memphis State Eight and how you made my life at the University of Memphis possible and so much Thank better you. and so much easier. And I, I do, I stand on your shoulders and I appreciate you so much. The, um, the last thing I'll ask you is what advice do you have for someone, uh, maybe a student, maybe a young professional, or maybe somebody in their career that it may be having challenges, but they, wanna, they want to be successful. What advice would you give them? to be successful in spite of their challenges? Well, thank you. One thing I would say to, to someone who's in school or someone who's in a profession is that you cannot look at what other people are doing and try to think that I can do all of this or I should be doing this because you can't always get to that point where you really want to get to that point. It takes a, it's a process. It's a process of change. I, I think about I going to University of Memphis, Memphis State, we were first not, People didn't know about us, but then they gradually began to know about us. I think about Dr. Raines, who in 2006 wrote a letter of apology to the eight of us, because some of the some of the eight said they would never return to the campus because of the treatment, but because of her letter of apology in 2006, saying that she was apologizing for the way we were treated, and we were honored in 2006 in the September 2006, and it was also part of Mark Sansbury plan. He presented the plan to her and it came to fruition. So what I'm saying is that when we consider that what we what we had done was not worthwhile, then she would recognize that and then we would be honored. And since that time, the honors have really flowed for us. In 2009, we received the Arthur Holman Lifetime Achievement Award. 2012, the marker was placed on the campus. So I'm saying that if we work within what we have and gradually, gradually things will move for us. And since then, it's been honors after honors and we were honored by the Memphis Theological Seminary in 2014. So what I'm saying that with her starting that process in 2016, 2006, I'm sorry, 2006, the honors have really flowed for us. And if we work within what we have, do the best with the, what we have and then gradually make those steps. Sometimes people can move fast, but all of, everybody cannot move as fast. Right. But well, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm personally very grateful. And I and I actually love Dr. Raines as well. Um, yes. And I'm grateful that she did that um, for you all. And because you, you absolutely deserved it and you deserve so much more. Um, but now I'm glad that students for for forever will now know who you are and who the Memphis State Eight are and mm -hmm. the contribution you made, not only for students of color like me, but for the entire university in Memphis and the entire community because the, the school is better because yes, of what is. you did. Right. And because, because you integrated the school and you have made a way for students like me to enter the school. Um, and the community is better because of what you've done and therefore the whole world is better. And, um, and I'm just grateful for you and your sacrifices. Um, grateful for your time. I'm so grateful for your friendship. Thank you. Um, sure. I'll, I'll say it again. You are one of the sweetest, 
most humble women that I know. Um, awesome yeah. speaker. And well, you. Um, you are, you are. I've heard you speak so many times and um, you always have so much wisdom in what you speak on and, and how you humbly say it. And I look up to you and I admire you. And, um, and I just thank you for your time. I thank you for sharing your story of resilience and, um, and it will encourage a lot of people. And may I mention what happened last year when we had the Unity March? I thought that was very good. That's part of the tribute that flowed to us. I was there. And when I'm there, I represent the other seven. Although four have transitioned to be with the Lord, four of us remain. And whenever I speak, I'm representing those, the other seven. Yes. And, and you are such a, an amazing representative um, of the group. And I'm, I'm grateful that I've had an opportunity to meet most. most. And, um, and um and I'm really grateful that I got got a chance to participate in that uh, march as well, and I got a chance to introduce you. That was a that's an honor oh, that I will have for the rest of my you. life. One of and the I, biggest honors of my life. Oh well, thank you. I want to say thanks to the athletic department for that unity march last year in June, which was great. And and tell us about that. The, what they were wearing on the helmet. I thought that is great. The helmet. Yes. So. So yeah, shout out to the athletic department for having the Unity March. Um, that was the students said that they wanted to show as in the wake of um, the murder of George Floyd and everything that's been going on in the country um, yes. to show that, and I'm proud, I'm so proud because the University of Memphis, starting with you in the Memphis State 8 is a beautifully diverse university yes, that honors students of all backgrounds and all yes, nationalities. Yes. And, um, yes. and right now they do have a new logo that shows that unity. That's great. That, That's that great. shows that unity. And so proud to be a part of the University of Memphis and I'm proud to be looking at you right now because who we are today, the diversity that we have today is started with your bravery um, and the bravery of the, the rest of the Memphis State Eight and enduring what probably most of us couldn't. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. I thank you. I thank you so much for your time.